Welcome to Mysteries to Die For, and this Toe Tech. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a murder, mystery, and mayhem. Today is a bonus episode that we call a Toe Tech. It's the first chapter from a fresh release in the mystery, crime, or thriller genre. Today's featured release is Chaos at Carnegie Hall by Kelly Oliver. All right, let's jump into the first chapter, which is number one, The Assignment. The men huddled around the electric kettle. No, it couldn't be. Were they making their own tea for once? Heads together, whispering. You would have thought they were a gaggle of gossips instead of two of Britain's greatest code breakers. Handy for me. The kitchenette was visible from my desk, which sat in a cubbyhole at the far end of room 40, the heart of British intelligence in the war office. Although I could see the gossips, I couldn't hear them. I had a photographic memory, not supersonic hearing. I tiptoed to the threshold of the kitchenette and strained to hear what they were saying. Blast! The tapping of my leather sole shoes on the wooden floor had given me away. The men clammed up. Were they talking about me? I crossed the threshold into the narrow kitchen. Like a dark cloud passing in front of the sun, their silence followed me to the sink. I pretended to tidy up. One glance at the dodgy contents of the sink and I scrubbed in earnest. As usual, a pile of dirty dishes nearly reached the tap. The crust of toast and other nasty bits and bobs floated atop milky dishwater. The smell of stale cheese and sour milk was making me peaky so I held my breath and worked with the tea towel double time to finish the job. I distinctly heard, Miss Fig. I pricked up my ears at the sound of my name. First, the villain invited her to Austria, now New York. Even without turning around, I recognized the baritone whisper belonging to Mr. Dillwyn Dilly Knox. Either our little Fiona is having an illicit liaison with the bounder, Mr. Dilly Knox knew all about illicit liaisons, Contrary to his doughy and disheveled appearance, he was not a reserved classic scholar. No, he was infamous around the war office for betting women and men alike, and he was a notorious tease. Mr. Knox chuckled, oh, or Fredericks has turned her into a double agent. What rubbish! The dish I was drying slipped out of my hands. I dived after and caught it on its way to the floor. Me, a double agent. Was he completely barmy? The kitchen was a narrow galley and only 20 feet long, so he had to know I could hear him. Cheeky devil. What do you mean? Mr. Gray came to my defense as usual. Nigel Gray, also known as Dormouse, was soft-spoken but open-minded. Miss Fig would never. Was I invisible? Oh, I don't know, Mr. Knox interrupted. Our Fiona will do anything for king and country, don't you know? He tittered obviously enjoying knowing that I was with an earshot. I tightened my lips as I rinsed a grimy teacup, probably one of his. I wouldn't give him the satisfaction of turning around. Miss Fig, Mr. Gray whispered. She never turned. Well then, Mr. Knox raised his voice, obviously hoping to get a rise out of me. She must have done her patriotic duty and seduced that traitor Fredericks. Frederick Fredericks was a South African huntsman and spy for the Germans who was posing as a journalist for a New York newspaper. Just thinking about the blackguard made my head spin. I threw the tea towel into the sink and whipped around to face my accuser. 
Mr. Knox snickered and jumped back as if I'd flung the rag at him. You know very well that Captain Hollis ordered me to follow Frederick Fredericks to New York. I trailed Frederick Fredericks from the English countryside through Paris and Vienna. At first I had to persuade the war office that Fredericks was a German spy sent to kill double agents. At least now, most of them believed me. There were theirs who then there were the others, the skeptics, who had never believed that a woman was capable of telling the truth, let alone discovering it. My friend and chaperone, Captain Clifford Douglas, was among the latter of the group, though that wasn't quite fair. He had a high regard for women, perhaps too high, but it wasn't his attitudes toward women that made him loyal to Fredericks. He considered Frederick Fredericks a mate that he had hunted together with in Africa. Clifford was constantly nattering on about the great white hunter. Seems killing things was a stronger bond than the truth. If I could catch Fredericks in the act of murder, then everyone would have to believe me. The trouble was, he never left enough evidence at the scene to pin anything on him. He was a sneaky bounder. I'd give him that. I wet my hands on my skirt and then thought the better of it. The infuriating man had me flustered, but that was no reason to sully a perfectly good skirt. He ordered you to attend an opera? Mr. Knox winked. Sounds more like courting than spying. I don't know which is worse, accusing me of being a double agent or having a romantic liaison with Fredericks. Then again, Frederick Fredericks did have an impressive history of romantic liaisons. Most women swooned at the sight of his muscular form and a swagger stick. Why? I don't know. I found the man insufferable. Use your feminine wiles. Mr. Knock raised an eyebrow. That's why women make such good spies, don't you know? He jumped back again to avoid the imaginary tea towel. Hands on my hips, I glared at him. I'd been working in room 40 of the war room for over a year now, and the men still didn't trust me. Women make good spies because they think with their brains instead of their, their. I stammered, unsure of where to go with this. It's 1917, for heaven's sake, not the dark ages. Women are just as capable as men. I may have started out as a filing clerk in room 40, but I had recently been promoted to temporary special agent, British intelligence. Although I had yet to catch the infamous Frederick Fredericks in the act of poisoning one of my fellow agents, I had helped catch a murderer who preyed on a Parisian war widows, prevented the assassination of an Australian monarch, and found a dog napper with a fondness for saturator. Then why aren't women fighting and dying on the front lines in this great war of ours? As if to add insult to injury, Mr. Knox lit a fat cigar. Dilly, be reasonable, Mr. Gray's pinched face flushed. Women on the front lines? That's the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. How could you even, he sputtered. If women ran the world, I waved my hand in front of my face to dispense the smoke billowing from his cigar, we wouldn't be at war. I suppose instead of wars, he said, we'd have baking contests and sewing galas. Mr. Knox shook his head and then took a big puff. Women would make a ripe mess if they were in charge of anything more than a nursery or a kitchen. He blew out another cloud of foul smoke. Our boys are coming back to bits, missing limbs, and blind from mustard gas, I said. My cheeks burned and I wanted to slap him. It couldn't get any bloody worse than the mess men have made of it. I wasn't in the habit of swearing, but Mr. Knox had hit a nerve. In my time volunteering at Charing Crossing Hospital, I'd seen my share of misery men inflicted upon each other in the name of righteousness and truth. Witnessing the horrors resulting from combat should make any sane person, man or woman, 
question the legitimacy of war. She's got a point, Mr. Gray gave me a melancholy smile. Admit it, Fiona, still puffing. Mr. Knox folded his hand as if prayer. The only reason you're playing at espionage is because men are busy doing serious jobs like breaking codes and blowing up bridges. You don't need dynamite to catch a fox. I took a deep breath and immediately regretted it. Coughing, I reached for a cleanish glass and turned on the tap. Fredericks is a fox, all right, Mr. Knox grinned. One who preys on pretty, like, pretty young chicks like you. What a cheeky cad. I didn't know whether to be outraged or flattered. I can handle Fredericks, I said. I took a sip of water. My assignment, as you well know, is to trail Fredericks and to find out how he is undermining American preparations in the war. America had entered the war against Germany and the Central Paro six months earlier. They sent troops to France four months ago, but they had yet to set foot on the front lines. The war office wanted to know why. Obviously, they suspected foul play. I'm sure you can, Mr. Knox, Knox tapped cigar ash onto the saucer. If anyone can't smoke him out of his hole, it's you, my dear. Well, I won't be smoking cigars, that's for sure, I said. I banged the glass on the counter just a little too hard. The contents splashed onto the sleeve of my blouse. Bloomin' hell, I said, under my breath, wiping at my sleeve. Mr. Knox exploded with laughter, and Mr. Gray joined in. There you are, Clifford poked his head into the kitchenette. I say, what's so funny? Captain Clifford Douglas was a good sort, a sturdy, reliable chap, with his lanky form, receding sandy hair, and aquiline nose. He wasn't bad-looking, either. Says Captain Hall insisted on sending Clifford with me as my chaperone, out of necessity, we'd become friends, just friends, as I'd had to remind him. Just for the record, I didn't need a bloody chaperone. Unfortunately, Captain Hall disagreed. For better or worse, ever since Ravenswick Abbey, he'd sent Clifford with me on assignments. Truth be told, Clifford had saved my life once or twice, and occasionally he'd overheard useful information while chatting up strangers, which was his forte. Clifford joined me at the sink, removed his hat, and smiled down at me with kindly blue eyes. Yes, I regarded, I glared at Mr. Knox. What's so funny? The tea kettle whistled. As if taking his cue, Dilly Knox led Mr. Gray out of the kitchenette. When we reached the threshold, Mr. Knox turned back. Be a good girl, won't you, Fiona, and bring us a nice cuppa? Grrr, my throat emitted a low, growling sound that even surprised me. I'd been promoted and gone on three moderately successful field missions, yet the men still expected me to make their tea and deliver it, too. If you're making tea, old girl, I'll have a cup. Clifford sat down in a rickety chair someone had left in the middle of the kitchenette. Obviously, I was the only one in the office who cared about order. As my dear granny used to say, everything in its proper place is the definition of style. She was a farmer's wife living in a dirt floor with her house still was spotless. Of course you would, I said through clenched teeth. I rinsed the teapot with warm water, dried it with a tea towel, poured in a healthy dose of rough cup black tea and then filled it with boiling water. Are you all packed, he asked. The cigar smoke hadn't yet dissipated when Clifford lit a blasted cigarette. Should I come around and collect your trunks? He grinned. I know how you love your disguises. I used to be able to fool Clifford with my disguises. Now that he was on to me, I'd never hear the end of it. I can manage, I said. I prepared the tea tray with four cups and saucers. I'm just trying to help, he said. 
He crossed his long legs and balanced his head on one knee. I know, I said to placate him. He was so easily hurt, and he did try to help, after all. And you're a dear, I said. I forced a smile, hoping to change the subject. Clifford and Captain Hall might make fun of my disguises, but they come in bloody handy in the past. After all, it was my manly Dr. Vogel disguise that wooed Lady Mary and got the goods on the spy ring at Ravenswick. And without my maid's costume, I would have never discovered Frederick's plot to blow up the British cargo ships, not to mention the helpful Jen I gathered as Harold, the helpful bellboy. Clifford's eyes lit up. I should know better than to encourage him. Poor man had already proposed to me twice. Then again, while just trying to help, he proposed to half of the women in London. At least Clifford was loyal, unlike my ex-husband Andrew, who had cheated on me with his secretary and then died in my arms from German mustard gas. I suppose if he hadn't left me for Nancy, I'd have never left London. After the divorce, I had to get away. What's the best way to forget an unfaithful husband? Become a spy for German British for become a spy for British intelligence, of course. Clifford reached into his jacket pocket. No, not an engagement ring. He'd never quite gone that far. I blushed. He withdrew an envelope and waved it in the air. Our tickets. Our tickets, I asked. I spilled the milk. Curses. Don't tell me Captain Hall has ordered you to protect me. I shook my head. Didn't anyone in the Blooming War Office have any confidence in me? You can't very well travel in America by yourself. Clifford returned the envelope to his pocket. Why not? I wiped up the spilled milk from the tray. Good Lord, Fiona. A woman alone on a ship? He glanced around and then pinched out the end of his cigarette. At least he didn't soil a saucer or leave his filthy butts lying around. I say, it's just not cricket. I won't be alone. I poured the strong tea through a strainer into teacups. I'm sure there'll be other passengers aboard the RMS Adriatic. Yes, and I will be one of them, he said. The orders come directly from Captain Hall. He may not outrank me, but he is the head of British intelligence. Well, certainly Captain Hall can't expect us to share a cabin. I hope to heaven I didn't have to pretend to be Clifford's wife on a ship, or while in New York. I'd barely survived my last assignment posing as Mrs. Clifford Douglas. I didn't relish trying it again, even as a cover. I rearranged the milk jug and the sugar bowl on the tea tray. Given how little I had to work with, the tray was neat and clean, if not pretty. You're in for a surprise, old girl, Clifford chuckled. I've just come from Captain Hall's office and... A round-faced delivery boy interrupted us. Miss Fiona Fig? He looked from Clifford to me as if either one of us might be Miss Fiona Fig. The Gov wants to see you in his office. I told you, Clifford winked. By Gov, I assume you mean Captain Hall. I wiped my hands on a towel and picked up the tea tray. That's right, miss. The boy nodded and waved a grubby paw at me. Better hop it. He wants you, today and not tomorrow. I'll hop it, I squinted at the lad, right after I deliver this tea. Let me, Clifford took the tray from my hands. Well, I'll be. Wouldn't the men be surprised when Captain Clifford Douglas delivered their tea? I nodded in gratitude and, and then hopped it upstairs to Captain Hall's office. No sooner had I arrived than Captain Hall's secretary ushered me into his office. Captain Reginald Blinker Hall was seated behind his mahogany desk shuffling papers. 
He looked up and gestured toward a chair across his desk, his eyelids blinking as if sending out Morse code, as usual. I sat, as ordered, and waited while he continued with his papers. My gaze wandered to a large window facing Whitehall Street. The winter sky was gray. Even from the second floor, I could hear the traffic below. Bells on horses, motor cars, lorries, vendors in the street. Despite the war, London was as lively as ever. Only instead of men keeping shops open, those jobs fell to women. I couldn't imagine women wanting to go back to dreary days filled with domestic chores after the taste of freedom afforded by the war. A bird-like twittering and a high-pitched bark made me twist around in the chair. The door had blocked my view and I hadn't noticed them when I came in, a girl and a dog. Sitting behind the door, a pretty girl dressed in a lilac frills, wearing lace gloves and a sailor hat, and a neat little white boots was cuddling a ball of fur squirming in her lap. She could have been on her way to Easter Sunday service at St. Bartholomew Le Great, except it was early November. She had to be at least 17 or 18, but her incessant giggling made her seem younger. She waved at me and I swirled back around to face Captain Hall. He must have sensed the question on my lips. Miss Fig, may I present my niece? He gestured toward the girl. Miss Eliza Baker, my, er, uh, sister's daughter. Avoiding eye contact with the fidgety puff of lace and ribbons, I nodded in her direction. If Captain Hall had company, why in the world had he summoned me to his office? Eliza has won a scholarship to the Institute of Musical Arts in New York. Captain Hall blinked with pride. On another occasion, I might have been delighted to stay and chat with Miss Baker, but given my departure to America in the morning, I had many stops to make this afternoon, including Angel's Fancy Dress Shop, before I could lay my head on the pillow. Congratulations, I said, and I forced a smile. When she smiled in return, she went from a pretty girl to a beautiful young woman. If only she'd lose the frothy trappings of girlhood, she would be a very attractive young lady. Although I had to admit, that rose petal hat was precious. Eliza is sailing to New York tomorrow, Captain Hall's voice became stern. Her mother wants her on her way as soon as possible. Mother wants me to get away from Billy, you mean. The girl stomped the floor with her booted foot. It won't work. We love each other and nothing you... Enough, Liza, Captain Hall stomped blinking and glared at the girl, unnerving to say the least. Ambushed by the talk of love, my thoughts turned to Lieutenant Archie Summersby, the handsome soldier I'd met when he was convalescing at Charing Cross Hospital. Last time I'd seen Archie, he kissed me with such passion. Surely my own mother had turned over in her grave, yet I hardly knew him. What did that kiss mean? No sooner had he planted it on my lips than he disappeared again. Would I ever seen his adorable crooked smile again? Eliza's lower lip trembled, her little dog growled. Miss Fig, Captain Hall turned back to me. I'm appointing you, Eliza Chaperone, until she is well settled in New York. She will stay with you until the campus opens in less than two weeks. Two weeks? My mouth fell open. When I tried to speak, no sound came out. I'm trusting you to look out for her. Captain Hall stood up. As of tomorrow, she is your responsibility. Miss Fig, I'm counting on you. He has got to be joking. Yes, sir, I said. I cringed. We're going to be such fast friends. 
Eliza adjusted the bow of her puppy's top knot and then lifted the Pekingese so it was standing on her lap. Aren't we, Poppy? She cooed. She gently placed the dog on the floor. Go and say hello. The furry creature ran at me with her tongue lolling, and I swear the little beast was smiling. Eliza clapped her gloved hands. The girl's countenance was changeable as the London sky in springtime. Won't it be a lark? I thought of a line from a poem. The larks, still bravely singing, fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. Indeed, I said. I bit my tongue. Good grief. I'd been demoted from spy to babysitter. So there we go. That is the first chapter of Chaos at Carnegie Hall by Kelly Oliver. So let's learn a little bit about Kelly. She is the award-winning and best-selling author of three mystery series, the Jessica James Mysteries, the Pet Detective Mysteries, that is for middle grade readers, and the Fiona Fig Mysteries. Chaos at Carnegie Hall is the latest in the Fiona Fig Mysteries and is the first to feature sidekick Kitty Lane. When she is not writing novels, Kelly is a distinguished professor of philosophy at Vanderbilt University. So now here is my review. All right, so Chaos at Carnegie Hall is a cozy historical mystery. It is billed as the first in the Fiona Fig Kitty Lane mystery series, picking up the characters of Fiona Fig from Separate Cozy series by Kelly Oliver. As you heard, it's set in 1917, and the temporary British intelligence officer Fiona Fig is sent from London to New York in pursuit of Frederick Fredericks, the smooth-talking South African who is determined to undermine the British war effort. But first, Fiona has to get there. So the bottom line is, chaos at Carnegie Hall is for you if you like the quirks of, of cozies, the nostalgia of the World War I era settings, and the charm of British mysteries. The strengths of the stories, this story is absolutely charming. It incorporates in strides the details of the world as it was in 1917. Uh, you heard a lot of that here in the first chapter as she's describing the details of you know, the, uh, the kitchenette, uh, the way that they're dressed. I just really got wrapped up in the description of the settings, the clothes, the people, the activities. Um, this was true both in their time in London, on the ship, and then in New York. Um, from the clothes to the societal rules to the politics, I really felt like we got a glimpse back in time here. So where the story fell short. Chaos at Carnegie Hall was hard for me to wrap my arms around. I would have described it as a cozy spy novel up to about the halfway point where the mystery element begins. So what happens is that as Fiona is aboard the ship, she starts unraveling that there are different interests working against each other. And of course, as she's starting to unravel this, she inserts herself on the side of the British government, of course, trying to nudge things in that direction. In that sense, it's very much a spy novel. And right as she's starting to make progress, boom, somebody dies, and the mystery starts. So if you're coming into this and you're really looking for a cozy mystery, as I was, you're kind of like, I don't, I don't get why this is a mystery. You have to be patient. The mystery is there. Now, if you really enjoy spy novels, you're going to be into it from the beginning. 
this is billed as the first in the series with Fiona Fig and Kitty Lang. Um, but as you heard in the first chapter, it uses many of the characters, both the good guys and the bad guys, from previous cases, as well as making reference to those cases. From a reader's standpoint, I do think it is more fairly characterized as the next Fiona Fig book. Um, Oliver does a very thorough job of explaining the backstory. You heard a lot of that in the first chapter. But as always the case, you do get the feel like you're jumping in at the middle rather than the beginning. This is a, a really charming story. If you are at all a cozy fan, I highly recommend it. I think you will enjoy it. Well, that is it for this toe tag. We will be back next week with our regular episode. Join us and see if you can beat the detective to the solution. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week.